Right, so three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Circuit 42. Uh, my name is Ian, and I am here tonight with special guest host Richard Evans. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And Mike White from the Projection Booth. Have the power. All the power. Fights are fun. I like fights. And we are here to talk about the Golden Globus classic and films production, Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren, Franklin Gala, and Meg Foster's Eyes. <laughs> For those who don't know, Meg Foster was actually asked a question about this movie, how they did the effect on her eyes uh, to make them look the way they did in the movie. And she explained to them that that's just how her eyes look and that hiring her is basically one of the best ways to, best ways to save money on special effects. <laughs> that's accurate. So, you know, uh, Richard, you've seen uh, Match the Universe a couple of times. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mike, this is your first time seeing the movie. It is. So, who wants to start? Uh, I don't know. Can we do rock, paper, scissors or a podcast? How's that work? <laughs> I, I usually go with rock. Good old rock. All right. Well, that was scissors, so go ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, first time seeing it, and um, it was interesting. Um, I it, it felt like it was a sequel to another movie. The whole idea of them going to Earth, it seems like that's always the idea for the second film. Um, and I... I no, uh, and you compared it to Beastmaster 2, and I can really kind of see that the whole let, let's go to Earth kind of thing. Um, yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, I wasn't really a fan of the cartoon, I really never had a desire to see this movie, um, because I really didn't like the cartoon or didn't watch the cartoon. I never had the action figures. I know my neighbors on the street had the action figures, and I was always a little jealous to be true about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was much more into Star Wars and those kind of things. By the time this movie came out, Star Wars was uh, just not happening anymore. Um, and I was in high school uh, when this came out, so it was a little too kid stuff for me. And then as I'm watching this movie, I'm just like, I, I don't know. There were things that I was just like, why are they doing this? What is your <laughs> rationale behind doing these things? Like the Billy Barty character, I'm just like, okay, is he supposed to be Orko, but like a non-flying Orko? And why isn't he uh, able to move his mouth? I felt so bad <laughs> for Billy Barty in that makeup. I think he was supposed to be Orko because Orko was expensive and this is Golden Globus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, felt very cheap a lot of times. And I... I mean, the coolest thing about Masters of the Universe to me was all of the the monsters and the guys that hung out with Skeletor. And yeah, they, like we had four of them and one wasn't canon. So I'm just like, okay, like give me man-y faces, like some of those guys, but like Beastman and stuff. I'm just like, okay, like none of these guys have any dialogue. I think there's maybe one line. And then the there's one who looks like it's supposed to be female but I think it's actually a guy in the makeup. So I was a like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks, yeah. It kind of looks like a, like a white ape from something, you know, I'm <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. It, w- it was, it was a strange movie. Very strange. Our kind of looks like, okay. Do, have you guys seen the terrible Fantastic Four movie that came in as a 15? No, I haven't. Which yeah, one? The, the, the recent Fantastic Four movie that nobody watched. Oh, yeah, I've seen oh, yeah. all of those awful Fantastic Four movies. <laughs> Card kind of reminds me of when they did Doctor Doom, except without the neon lights. I can kind of <laughs> see so that, yeah. It's like they just put, like, I'm going to be very crude. It's like they put crusty jizz on an actor and just let them, and just let them go. Is that wrong? 
I don't think it's that wrong, no. Just colorful. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to do? you have anything else that you want to touch on, or those are just your those, opening the, thoughts on the movie? Those are my opening thoughts. Nice. On my turn? Oh, sorry. The connection's weird. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, for the for the the thought of like I, I I agree with you as far as like the cartoon being absolutely awful. Uh, if you watch it now, if you watch it as a kid, it's it's great because it's kind of your introduction to you know fantasy slash sci fi. But as an adult, it doesn't quite work. But uh, but the thing that was awesome about that cartoon was the characters and just like kind of their essence. And and that's where I think this movie is perfect uh, because it pretty much nails uh, like who these people are, even if it's not uh, a direct. Because I'm always of the the mindset of like if you're going to write like a comic book movie, don't do it exactly because we've already read it. We don't want it spoiled, you know. Uh-huh. And and this just felt like a oh these characters as kids as like a kid characters are now in adult form because like. They a they were physically there. B they were even like more grandiose with Skeletor actually killing people, you know, in like more dire consequences and, uh, and and things like that. So I thought they they nailed some of that. I understand like the whole the the annoying parts of it going to Earth, uh, etc. But uh, it, it, that that almost like kind of humanizes it as far as like having because nobody nobody here on Earth can relate to that story. You know, uh-huh. not really. So it's like, well, let's get a human connection here. So, bam, back on Earth, and we got Courtney Cox, and uh, and kind of what she's going through, like with her dead parents, etc., uh, and then just leaving town. So I I thought that was uh, an, an interesting choice to do it that way. Um, and then and then just Frank Langella being the boss of this movie. He's he to me he's like Al Pacino and Scarface. He's just so over the top and loud. It's so much fun to watch. And uh, and I love it. I love it. In a way, I feel like any scene with um the Frank with uh, Frank Langella and Meg Foster was almost like, man, no one else is going to add to this movie. We've got to make yeah. up for that right now. Yeah, and that's kind of what I like. Uh, another thing I like about it too is the, the interesting plot choices of uh, cast, like basically telling the story through the the eyes of Skeletor. You know, the good guys are now the side characters. So that's kind of that's almost like Suicide Squad, you know, where it's like huh. you put the side characters, oh, you know, the big characters to the side and the side characters up front. So you get to know more about the villains. And honestly, Skeletor's a goat. Like he, we want to see more of that guy. You know, it's kind of like when you're watching Star Wars and like, oh, Boba Fett's dope. I want to see more of that guy. Well, that's what this movie was. Was you got to see that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he Man is very much being acted upon the whole time whereas skeletor Mm -hmm. is much more the actor and you're right he is super dynamic i know that langella loved this character there's a great documentary out there from 2017 called power of grayskull the definitive history of he-man and the masters of the universe yeah and oh man he was just so excited to talk about being skeletor he just ate it up and it shows he I think he brought so much to the role and you're right. Every time he's on screen, I'm just like, yeah, I want more of this guy. I really appreciate what he's doing. I love the little like 
Richard the Third quotes that he's doing. It's just it's yeah. very much you know like heavy is the head that wears the crown, and now he's in charge of Castle Grayskull, and it's a matter of cleaning up stuff. And okay, great. So whenever he's on screen, wonderful. And I I like Dolph Lundgren a lot. I think he's really charismatic. I know this was like during the time when he was kind of making that transition to more American movies. I can't remember when Rocky Four was, but it was probably a few years prior. But I like him quite a bit. I think he was perfectly cast as He-Man. It just didn't feel like he had a lot to do. And when we Mm. were in that He-Man part of the film, it really kind of became the Courtney Cox and Tom Paris film. And okay, they're all right. And yes, they have their motivations. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, just let's go see what Evil Inn and and, uh, Skeletor are up to, please. Weird. Yeah. The thing I love, and I always I actually feel bad for Tom Paris in this movie. Okay, we know his name is not Tom Paris, everybody, but really, Robert Duncan McNeil has a lot to say. Yeah. So we're going to call him Tom Paris. If you've seen Star Trek Voyager, you understand why. I feel bad for his character up to a point. Like when he's getting like BDSM interrogated by Meg Foster, yeah. and, like just getting beat to shit. Oh, first off, by, oh, yeah, by the way, that is a that is a beautiful canon film moment. It's like, Hey, what 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 do you think the children like in the movie? Um, BDSM. Really? Amen. Amen. We have a whole villainous. Her whole <laughs> character is BDSM. Also, using plot device from Spaceballs, which is the greatest <laughs> moment ever. It's like if you're using a gag from Spaceballs and playing it seriously, you you've already lost. Um, the scene where he's just being beat to shit in the kitchen and um, just hoping that his I'm, I may be a little bit crude. Hoping that his girlfriend is not being railed by He-Man. Um, <laughs> they're just like running around causing shenanigans. I'm the only person who feels bad for his character because he really he just gets the fuck we have him for like the bulk of the movie. And he's the one who seems to be actually like healthy enough the one trying to make the most headway on Earth. Mm-hmm. Kind of, sort of. Like his character almost reminds me of like a Marty McFly-ish character with like the, uh, like as far as him like being focused on his band and stuff. Yeah, I can see like, that. Like when he first starts, like his girlfriend's leaving town, and they find this cosmic key, and what's his impulse? Oh, let me go take you to my place where I'm going to rehearse. Right. Oh, me, I'm going to go. I'm going to go leave you alone here for an hour. Your last day here, so I can go talk to my synthesizer friends. And like, nerd. You know like, what? dude, you're, your priorities you're right. are fucked here. So, yeah, I don't think he cares if she finishes. If you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Exactly. But <laughs> but then like. <laughs> But then, like, slowly throughout the movie, he kind of, like, comes into his own a little bit, because he's also super unsure of himself, uh, mm-hmm. until, like, you get to the end, and Gwildor's like, I don't know how to play keyboards, I just hit this button, but it needs to fl- throw these tones, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I got it, check it out, bam, I've been practicing all my life for this, and he's like, oh, dude, you just opened up a, a portal in the universe, which, by the way, as a synth player, the key, the cosmic key, is... So awesome as a kid i'm like i want that as an adult i'm like i want that the tones off that thing are dope it opens a dimension to go wherever you want that it's just a, a an awesome instrument i just gotta give a shout out to the cosmic key right there i hear that Giorgio <laughs> maroder can actually do that if he wants oh. to he can open up that portal yes Giorgio maroder can do whatever he wants <laughs> he he is definitely capable of doing that with his own mind because most synth machines most of the machines can't do that there's some yeah. Well, you know, depends yeah. on what drugs you're on. Yeah, I think it was like Rick Wakeman did it in like the 72, I think it was. There was a huge rift over England at one point. All these Daleks came through. It was it was bad news. <laughs> That's great. 
Oh, wait, we do have to touch on a, a um, because Richard, I know you're from Michigan. We have to touch on a Michigan native, um, James Tolkien, aka Officer Mr. Strickland. Yeah, he was Ooh. great. I was so yeah. glad to see him show up. Yeah, he's he brought having, his game, man. Yeah, it, 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 he pretty much just came in as like that's like the trinity of his 80s films. It's like Top Gun, uh, Back to the Future, and this, where it's like you, you see this. It's kind of the same character. In fact, that I kind of like to pretend that they're all in the same universe a little bit. Uh, and uh, it, 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 he's just chewing scenery left and right and having a, a great, grand old time. Yeah. He's like, you know what your problem is, Corrigan? You're a slacker. You'll always <laughs> be a slacker. All of you keyboard players are a bunch of slackers. Why don't you pick up a guitar every once in a while? He may as well say you know, that. You know what I feel is the greatest, like, one of the other great canon moments in that movie? The fact that, that, because I hadn't seen the movie in a long time, I was like, this man has, tra- has no trigger discipline whatsoever. I'm pretty sure this is the kind of guy who just starts shooting monsters with a shotgun. Then he starts shooting monsters with a shotgun. I'm <laughs> like, I forgot he did that. Yeah. And there are all these moments where I was just being sarcastic. I'm like, yeah, you should probably totally do this thing. It's like, movie, why are you listening to me? All, the, all these ideas are terrible. <laughs> Well, there's an awesome scene that's in that where he does that, where he turns a corner like, hey, and starts shooting a shotgun. And they turn around and shoot, start shooting lasers at him. And he's like, shit, like literally says that. And then he's like, he looks at his gun. He's like, this is useless. Like, it was, it was a pretty funny moment because, yeah, he, he calls it out. And then it's like, Ooh, I yeah, that's not what <laughs> this isn't the movie I'm usually in. OK, <laughs> so, the, so the question for you is this. Um, well, did, can, does Canon Films just not know how to make a children's movie? Was this not intended to be a children's movie? Because I'm like, who's the target audience for this movie? Is it kids? Is it adults? I really can't tell from, throughout the movie. From what I've heard slash seen, it was kind of the attempts to bring that into an adult market. Because if you think about it, like, Canon had just gotten Superman 4, mm-hmm. which was kind of like the, you know, that was the adult franchise of Superman, even though that particular film... <laughs> You know, Power Rangers looks almost on point with that one. But uh, but they were trying to make like turn kids films into adults films. And uh, what I also heard is like in some markets, uh, this particular movie was uh, shown as like matinees most of the time. So mm-hmm. even adults could only see it as a kids movie. So it's like, oh, you have to show up at noon or two to see this movie. Like, oh, well, I guess it's a kids movie. And then it's not, you know, it's it's kind of it's pretty damn dark. Um, and I give, I give massive props to, uh, Gary Goddard, who is like the goat of science fiction, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he, after this, he did Captain Power. If you want to do a podcast about that, you can hold me for a week and I'll talk about it, but I won't do it today. Uh, but just knowing that this was kind of like his first film and knowing like, like I'm, I'm a director as well of sorts. And I, I know how hard it is to make, you know, a finished product. And especially if you have so many limitations. And I know this movie had budget limitations. Uh, and then they also had like Mattel when it first started off. They're like, He-Man can't kill anybody. And they're like, what? You can't kill anybody? What the hell am I supposed to do with this? This is an action movie. And so like, they can't kill humans. So Gary Goddard's like, all right, got it. We'll use robots. So he can just chop the heads off of these things. That's where you got <laughs> black stormtrooper looking dudes who still look dope <laughs> in my opinion. And then halfway through the movie, like, I think... When they were filming it, like budgets were just tanking left and right with Canon and Mattel, and they're like, "Whatever, just make it a good movie. He can kill people, whatever." And and Gary Goddard is getting these mixed messages all the time. And then he's working with Dolph Lundgren, who's not a good actor. 
So his whole thing was, all right, this is what I have. Like, I came into it with this. Then my budget, here's my actors, etc. But uh, he's like, I want to make a good movie. Dolph Lundgren's not a good actor, so let's create our story around this character so he's not the lead. Because if he's a lead, it's going to be terrible. But he had Frank, you know, carrying the movie. That's kind of why it's cut that way, you know? And, uh, and yeah, I think it, like, like Gary's pretty great about managing his resources and using what he has. I mean, uh, I heard that the last fight in that movie, like the final fight, like Cannon literally pulled the plug and we're like, you're done. And he, and, but he knew that they were going to do that. So, and, and that was like the last shot. And he was like, all right, uh, we're going to finish this. And he basically went in with himself, Dolph, uh, the, uh, the guy who was playing Skeletor stunt double, who was also Blade. I know too much about this movie, sorry. Uh, and then just like filmed it like with no power, like maybe minimal lights. And that's how, and he like used that money out of his own pocket to make sure it was finished. So just to see like Gary, just, just knowing kind of that behind the scenes stuff makes me appreciate it more that he's able to like cut this just bonkers ass situation into a finished product <laughs> is, it was a miracle in and of itself. What well, is interesting that you brought up uh, Superman for the quest for peace, because that whole aspect of, uh, he-man being prince adam is just not there you know like yeah. the, the the life on eternia is so limited it's like here's castle grayskull the interior and i i read that it was something like oh this was the biggest sound stage and i'm just like but it doesn't look like a sound stage there's many times where they're showing stuff and i'm like well that just looks like a painting i'm like make sure that yeah. langella doesn't like go two <laughs> steps to the left or also like be covered up by the matte painting so i'm like why does this look so cheap but um that whole idea of uh prince adam and his life and all these things and having the sword and doing the line you know by the power of gray skull i have the power mm. all of that stuff is not there and i'm just like okay that to me seems like a pretty big deal it's like having a superman film where he never is clark kent but mm, yeah i mean I, I can see what you're saying as far as like let's play to the strengths and the strength is langella so it's like okay we'll just yeah. limit he-man to that but it, it's it's a shame that he-man doesn't have more to do yeah i give you that yeah I, I didn't think about it from that perspective it would be cool to have like you know like captain america first avenger kind of moment you know even mm. if it is like he starts like he's weak and then gets it because i that is he-man's appeal is you know it he's kind of a weakling and then holds a sword and anybody can be a superhero kind of thing um even though the uh, way he's drawn he always looked almost exactly the same yeah, it was very much like superman and clark kent i was like okay uh i don't necessarily understand what the sword does other than take off your shirt Yes. At least with Clark Kent, like at least with Clark Kent, like he changes attitude, his posture, yeah. personality. Yeah. He Man was like, "No, I'm wearing a shirt." Yeah. Well, see, it almost is like the premise itself almost sounds goofy. So I can, e I can even just see Gary Goddard being like, "Yeah, let's get that out of there. We don't need that." Yeah. But apparently, because you mentioned the issues, with the fact that the issues that with um, uh, Lundgren, and then but then basically being like, "This guy can't act. Let's focus on mm -hmm. Gala." Apparently, Dolph Lundgren just said it was a nightmare working on the movie because the five months there was a five month shoot with two months of night shooting, mm -hmm. and um, uh, he actually said that he was approached to do a sequel during shooting. He turned it on the offer straight up. Wow, I believe that. Yeah, I and, mean, um, night shoots are no joke. And I read something like two months of night shoots. I'm just like, oh my god, that is a huge amount of night shooting. That just fucks with your metabolism so much. Yeah, yeah. 
the sad thing is you mentioned the the budget the budget issues especially in the end which is why we seemingly get this um uh the sword the final sword fight in a different dimension away from all the other actors in a pitch almost pitch black room it's mm-hmm. sad because you have um you have anthony delongus delongus um who worked on star wars for a lot of the lights who um a lot of lights over choreography and sitting here no he was the um, he was one of the sword fight choreographers on highlander with mm. batman returns bunch of stuff uh, he dope. actually helped do all the sword choreography for the mm. movie then you can't see any of it yeah yeah it's unfortunate like, that hurts man uh-huh. yeah if only they would have let him finish the movie yeah like but apparently he um he actually trained along with the sword and everything and he mm-hmm. much handled everything he was actually a skeletor during the final fight Oh nice. oh, nice. Oh, same guy? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the same guy who was uh, Blade in the movie, too, I think. Didn't it? Yeah. There's, um... Cool. No, no, he wasn't He wasn't Blade, oh. but he was... He choreographed the fight between them. Then he also oh, choreographed okay. the fight between him and Skeletor. That's cool. Yeah. See, that, that's also kind of why, I, like, that particular scene, I know, like, it kind of... Almost think, you, like, it's going to reach, like, a stereotypical crescendo, you know? Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, it's going to go, it's going to go where you think it's going to, and then it doesn't. And then it just goes black. That's also like a cool, like I think, just a, a directorial technique of being like, "All right, here's your expectations. We're gonna do opposite," and and that's fun. But at the same time, yeah, it's a big blockbuster movie. It's usually good to have a, a giant blockbuster ending. I, love, I like the part where he where he throws the emperor down to the big pit, like in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it it doesn't help. Like I think I remember seeing the. Uh, the the marketing for this movie are all, like it's the Star Wars of the eighty like in the commercials, <laughs> which is even funnier because I'm like no I think Star Wars is the eight Star Wars of the eighties that's right it's still uh, still around <laughs> why'd you use that tagline y'all <laughs> not oh, saying they shot themselves on the foot yeah um, it, it's like you you're gonna put yourself on that high of a pedestal it's like coming out of the movie it's like it's the Citizen Kane of the twenties you know it's right. Like, <laughs> And then it comes out like, oh, that definitely was not it. So yeah, they totally shot themselves in the foot. I okay, really, even though I like the movie, sorry, um, quick, even though I like the movie, I really wish they had marketed uh, New Mutants that way. I mean, like, it's the Citizen Kane of the 2020s, just New Mutants. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, it's not. It's even the Citizen Kane of 2017. I really right, wanted. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. I really wanted more from Man at Arms and Tila, and I yeah. like they're around and they have some lines, but it just felt like there wasn't much there. Like there were times where I was just like, "What's this girl do? Oh, that's Tila. Oh yeah, I forgot she's with them because that's mm-hmm. how much of an impact she makes." I was just like, "I I like her character and I like Chelsea Field and I like John Cipher. I'm just like, I really wish that you guys had a little bit more to do." Yeah. I, I like I agree with that, uh, but the scenes they did have were pretty dang cool. Like uh, I think that was the first vegetarian that I had met in a, in a film. You know, like that scene where they get the KFC or whatever. Oh and yeah, then, and then or the ribs or whatever. And she's like, "What is this? Why do they put this food on the sticks?" And Dad's sitting there like a grizzled veteran, like it's meat, we kill animals, girl. That's how we live. You know. And she's like, "Oh, it's disgusting," and it, it just kind of shows that like. Has this whole, uh, you know, because fa- are they father and daughter in that one? I think. Don't think they are, but they just have that kind of kind of have oh, okay. that relationship. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. But it was it's just this. It just showed that he was like you know a grizzled veteran, and she's kind of a noob, you know, and, and like you know kind of being like the 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 young kid and bringing to the situation. But she yeah, can still that... take care of herself. Like I really like that part where she's 
blowing stuff up and then she turns literally to the camera and goes woman at arms i i actually thought that was a, a riot yeah it made me wonder if all of eternia was uh vegetarian or not i was just like yeah oh okay that's interesting and i'm like oh let's explore that you know, of all the stupid things yeah. in the movie i'm just like oh that's very interesting i wonder what that's like on eternia <laughs> what are their dietary habits <laughs> But they're not exploring that. Derailed no. 30 yeah. minutes of their meat pro- processing right. <laughs> industry. Yeah. Well, no, that's in the, that's in the, um, that's in the uh, Zack Snyder cut. <laughs> That'd be great. Yes. Only Zack Snyder cut of this movie. Make a black and white version ten, while you're at it. Be a 10 minute sequence where they, t- where they teach them how to make tea. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. I, Very important. I, I actually have this movie on in the background while we're talking because I love it. And, uh, and and the one thing I, I really liked about this as well is I was it, wrong by the way that was Anthony oh. Delonge's blade. You're absolutely right. Oh, I was right. Yeah. Boom! I don't know what I went nerd points to watch. Rest My of respect. The <laughs> respect the. Uh, uh, I I thought the the idea of doing like you have some key characters from the series in here, you know, uh, but then you get like a whole new batch of characters. Mm-hmm. I I thought that was super cool to like uh, just introduce new things while also touching. A little bit like, oh, I remember that guy, but also be introduced to, to new stuff. Like, Sarad, I think, is such a dope villain, even though he gets torched pretty quick. Uh-huh. But I always liked it. And I had the toy, and he had sparks coming out of his mouth. That was that was my jam. Oh, I had that one, too. So had that one, what was the one of the suction cups? The suction cup face? Oh, God. I know you're talking about the green one. Yeah, he's cool. I had that one. Uh, so I, I had so many He-Man toys. And then I ruined them with that. Freaking Snake Mountain slime pit because slime back then was not something you could clean out of action figures very well. I think that was Leech who had the suction cup mouth. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that was Leech. Nice. I, I feel like my parents intentionally didn't ever never bought me Stingor. <laughs> that thing really didn't stink. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. He just smelled like a like, car tire. That's probably what he was just a car tire. No, they they literally it. dunked it in patchouli. <laughs> it, isn't, it, it's, isn't it the same mold as Merman, but it's just black and white? Oh yeah, yeah. They were super cheap <laughs> around that. I I heard that Tila and Evelyn were like the same mold, but just colored oh, different. Great. Yeah. Oh, they are. Oh, I got those. I gotta go check it out. I always love the fact that like I I love how this movie. I feel like they are very much aware of the homoeroticism of He Man, and the moment that yeah. you see them doing the bond, doing the um, VSM whipping scene, and you just see He Man lean into the whip, like <laughs> oh, you're just you're just going for it, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I mean think about it i mean it is a movie about a muscle-bound dude so there you go give him what they want i mean and, and he's kind of a he's kind of a gay icon too a little bit in some circles so that makes sense yeah nothing so wrong with like, that yeah so it's like cool he he got some representation early you know kind of thing it you know even in that but yeah there is a lot of i didn't even think about the the collar scene as being bds so that's that's great no, that's like it's like a major theme throughout the movie. That's why, yeah. as a while as I was watching, I'm like, "This is made for I'm just the right people." It's kinky, <laughs> exactly. The people. Oh no, this is made for me. Great. <laughs> um, um. Do a do a, <laughs> a personality analysis on uh, on myself about this movie. I did whatever. I'll shut up. I you're in good company. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, um, I I don't know if I can speak for Mike, but you know what? You're good. You're in good company. Um, so yeah, looking at this movie, we we're talking, we're talking about Tila and Man of Arms, which is like one of the better things that should have actually explored instead of Kevin going to the music shop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, wait, wait, no, we are Rana's name. His name is Tom Paris. Instead of Tom Paris going to the music shop. 
And um, my favorite part with them is still when they just steal straight up steal someone's chicken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as I'm rewatching that, I had had a Mandela moment because I'm clearly remembering him having KFC. Then I'm like, mm. wait, were they not able to get that approved? Oh, like a tie-in? Yeah, because the box looks like KFC. I mean, were they not able to get their their uh, Power Rangers Krispy Kreme donut? <laughs> God, yeah, you would think that they would have been all over product placement. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the purpose of He-Man was to sell toys. You know, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's like we came up with a toy, and then yeah, and then came up with the rest of it after. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm surprised you didn't have the KFC tie and all those other things. You just want to drink a Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> there is Pepsi in the movie. There is Pepsi in that There's movie. a lot of Pepsi in that movie. Yeah. I'm going to have to look. I'm going to rewind this movie and figure it out if it was KFC or not. <laughs> when we were watching it, um, uh, my, my girlfriend should point out, why are they putting, do you see them just putting garbage in the sink? And it's like he's throwing out oranges, that, like fresh yeah. oranges. I'm like, yeah, why it, are you? It, and that's how he decided, like, oh, he's at his girlfriend's house. I'm going to clean by just tossing it lazily in the sink and not throwing it. And I'm glad somebody else noticed that. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a guy who's going to be living on his own for a while. That's <laughs> Yeah, he obviously has his priorities a little screwed up. <laughs> so I, I could clean the sink, clean the kitchen, or I could just share it with the synthesizer. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to share it hey, with the I, synthesizer. Hey, I, I understand. When you get a new piece of gear like that, I, yep, I get it. That's right. I understand. Yeah, this is one of this is one of those movies. Like, no, I, I I've got to ask you because the best best kind of the best kind of fan rage is fan rage. So going in, we got your we got your initial take on the movie overall. Let 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 have it, man. I want to hear this. I want to hear what was the what was that experience as you turned this movie on? As for some reason you agreed to do this podcast, <laughs> you finally started to realize what you're seeing. I mean, I had heard stories for years of just how bad the movie was. So I was prepared for the worst. And, you know, I'd seen the documentary about uh, He-Man or about, uh, yeah, He-Man. And I had, I think I had even seen some like YouTube videos about it. Um, So it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I think if I had come to this film maybe if I was like five years younger, I would have been all over it and I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But yeah, He-Man was always just a little bit behind where I was at, you know? So like when the toys came out, I was a little bit past that. When the movie came out, I was definitely past that. So it just, yeah, it was what it was. I was like, okay, you know, and I, I liked certain aspects of it. I, I really thought that Meg Foster looked very hot. I liked her scenes. Um, so yeah, and I liked Langella. Like you could tell he was having so much fun. So I mean, his performance just kind of saves the whole thing for me. Agreed. What about you, Richard? Because you've seen this movie approximately eighty six, seven million times. I've seen it a lot of times. Uh, see, I think maybe that that's when you when you saw this movie may also affect it. Because mm-hmm. I, I do know that I have a lot of nostalgia tied to this film. Uh, so like my, my bias is going to be different. Like, for example, I saw crawl when it came out and I thought oh. that was the best movie ever. Yeah, and I, me did, too. I didn't, I didn't know until two years ago that people didn't like that. Movie. Like no idea. Who the hell doesn't like crawl? Man? Don't it's a like fantastic crawl? movie. I've seen a lot of people throw shade at that film, but, and, oh. and this is kind of how I feel about this one too. Like these movies are pretty damn similar. Like there's the whole like sword fighting stuff mixed with sci-fi and aliens and shit. 
So it, it kind of has everything you want as a kid. And, and uh, again, I had seen the, the cartoon and that was like, what, uh, 83, the toys came out, something like that. The, the show ended in 85. I remember that. So I was five years old when that movie came out. And that dates me. But, uh, and then this movie came out, I think, in 87. So like two years after the toys, I mean, the, the show was just done already. So it was cool to see it like reinvented and then like reinterpreted. So to mm-hmm. me, it was like, this is awesome. I get to see this stuff looking dope on screen and not these really cheesy cartoons, you know, even though they're groundbreaking for their time and set a precedent. But those cartoons are just super over the top, colorful and goofy, you know, I like, love the cartoons. and but but this one, like it never put any sound effects of like boink getting hit on the head or anything like that. <laughs> it, it was straight up like we're doing this shit and just lasers and people getting murdered and, and he man being dope and Skeletor, you know, being like saying some really deep shit. Like, you know, tell me uh, he man, how does the loneliness of good feel? Is it equal to the loneliness of evil? Like lines like that. You're like, that's in this movie. Why is that in this movie? Yeah, like, that that shouldn't be that 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 real and deep. And then you get to see the ultimate narcissist, which is Skeletor, just go, I want power and just literally turns into a god at the end. And and it just like kept escalating. I think this movie is dope. The special effects, I think, are on point with like Star Wars, like Empire Strikes Back kind of special effects. And uh, and yeah, I, I think it's great. Gary Goddard is is the goat. I will say that a million times over. And uh, yeah. This movie's fantastic. It's funny. I was thinking of Krull while I was watching it. Like you're talking <laughs> about those robotic characters. I was yeah. also thinking a little bit of Highlander too, because of the like little um, surfboards that they're on as they're like flying oh, yeah. around and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I was totally reminded of the bad guys from Krull. And then when Skeletor is super huge out on the open plains of Eternia and that giving so messages. Cool. I was like, this really reminds me of that landscape. Like, he is the castle crawl, you know, rather than... Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, I loved crawl. And crawl hit me at that perfect time. I was just the right age for that. So yeah, I still love that movie. And I'd like to find those people that don't like it and just, you know, have a little talk with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's my judgment. (laughs) because I'm actually finally going to see all this week i had a copy of it forever oh it's so dope uh, i hope you I'll love say, it dude the one thing I'll <laughs> you say guys about, know me i won't like that movie uh, the one thing about crawl that's i don't think anybody acknowledges and it's not really a spoiler but the deaths in that movie are like the most horrific deaths like if you think about conceptually what that person's going through when they're dying it's like oh my god so uh yeah keep that in mind when you watch that awesome movie now I'm just really excited for the movie, but um, yeah, I got I got to talk about my experience when I saw this because I think this was back in this was back in the '80s where every movie was either rated G or rated R. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was three years old. I saw this movie in theaters, and um, I don't remember much of the movie because I was three years old. But I actually vaguely remember Man being awesome because I was three. And one mm-hmm. of my favorite things from my childhood is that I actually had the yeah, He Man poster. Like the painted, the painted Drew Struzan poster as a kid. Oh, nice! And like my memory, and I was telling, I was telling my girlfriend this while like, rewatching the movie. I, I know it's cheesy, but I, but I still enjoy it. I still love it. And um, my biggest takeaway was that I remember um, when my me when I was like super little, like four or five years old, and um, the neighbor kids were a little older than me. 
and all all the parents were just having to get together. And my dad used to have his den where he would do his work, where he would chill, and he had a little TV in there and movies that we would watch. And we would always we would always watch whenever we can get a hold of it or rent it or whatever was um, Masters of the Universe. So my takeaway nice. from that movie and my memory from that movie, not necessarily seeing it in theaters, but having the poster and being uh, just watching that movie. Um, all my parents were having to get together and basically like, we don't want to watch that movie. Nobody wants to watch that movie. Mm. That movie <laughs> in there with the kids. Oh, and for me, that's uh-huh. it really is like there's 8 billion posters for that movie, but that movie, that poster, the Drew Strizen one is the best one. I think Drew yeah. Strizen could just make any movie look awesome. Though. Yeah. I was doing a little um, Google image searching earlier and just found some really nice images for it. It, it. They definitely didn't skimp when it came to the marketing of it. Apparently I didn't realize this. Uh, Strizen actually did a image comics cover for when they brought back uh, Master Universe for a little while, a couple years ago. Nice. And yeah, and which is really cool because he's not one of those guys that you think of to make to do a um, to do like a comic book cover. Well, funny enough, he did one Superman cover, and it's probably one of my least favorite covers. And I'm like, I don't know how this happened. Huh? Because well, like, what's up? Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to segue into the uh, about the future of the Masters of the Universe. About the uh, the Kevin Smith series that's going to be coming out. Oh, I'm so excited for it. That sounds so dope. Like the the uh, but, voice acting lineup is dope. I mean, you got is Kevin Smith writing it? Um, he's not writing it, which honestly I think um, I'm fine with mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of his recent stuff. I mean, you don't like dialogue? Lots and lots and lots of dialogue. <laughs> oh, I love lots of dialogue. dialogue. <laughs> I love dialogue, but I just don't love yoga hosers. Oh, oh I feel you. good lord! The writing lineup he's gotten. Right lineup he's gotten is fantastic. You got Mark Bernardin. Um, well, if anyone who's listened to Fat, if, uh, Fat Man and Batman, I know Mark Bernardin from there, but he's also one of the head writers on Castle Rock. And then you've got Eric Carrasco from Supergirl and Justice League. And then um, Adia Mishra, who wrote, who wrote, worked on The Tick, which unfortunately strong writing staff. And then, like you said, the voice actors, Alan, Ira Hang back, um, Michael Richardson, and Henry Rowland, Stephen Root. Uh, well, of course, Harley Quinn Smith would be in there, um, and Tony Todd, just to name a few. Oh, I, nice! Kind of what I'm thinking about, about it is like, oh, word. Uh, and then you have Mark Hamill, who's in the Dark Crystal reboot uh, for Netflix, and I the and the original show like mashed together into this like glorious. Well, I wasn't reboot. intrigued to see it, but I just know. Uh, watching watching that show, I was I was unsure, but when I started of actually watching him like another insane voice cast um she was actually one of the head writers on that as well oh, and cool. uh, yeah noelle stevenson and she's one of those other people who just puts out just consistently solid work so i would i would say like even though it is mar- marketed towards kids you think, mm-hmm. all right cool uh one Sounds of the ones like i'm always sad that never gets talked about as much was the um man reboot from the early the human reboot from the early 2000s mm-hmm. that's a little this, that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The thing that I liked as a uh, as a comic book geek as well is that when they released the DVDs, I mean, trading cards, oh, really? little That's inserts, cool. and instead of just like being all junky, they had like Chris Pacello, Chris Pacello, and artists on uh, doing different character sheets. They're doing different character lines, each one, and um, the oh. the set is mm-hmm. real creek. So it's like we're real creek. We're gonna make that shit shitty, and. Um, so the only way to actually grab any of those is to get the uh, is to pick up that find that particular box set. Um, we had um, 
uh, Matt Dunford. He runs the San Diego Comic Fest, and he ha- he's just basically just telling me, "Yeah, I just picked up that He-Man set at a pawn shop, and I told him you should open it, see if the cards are in there." He opened it; all the cards were in there. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Jackpot! And he, I think he said that he got it for like three dollars. In my mind, I'm like, "You're a good dude. I don't want to call you son of a bitch." <laughs> yeah, if you look at the here, I'll, I put one in the chat. If you look at the artwork, it's just freaking awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they they weren't playing around, and I'm like, I know we got a, a really good He-Man comic in the last couple of years, Whoa. but I'm like, looking at this, and I'm like, can these are DVD inserts, man? Can you have made cool. this into a comic because that would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, I bought a, a bunch of those figures when they came out. I was like, these are dope. So they're sitting in boxes still in my closet. Yeah, the um, this one, this one of those things like something that's so. Is it odd to say that, like, you look at certain cartoons and there's certain cartoons, certain movies, well, like this movie, it's very clearly a concept that's kind of set in a time. In terms of the cartoon and in terms of what we've seen with He-Man for different media, it's one of those few where it actually does carry over really, really well to different time, different interpretations. Because you look at it and it's like, oh, this is one of the most beautifully 80s scenes in the world. And then you take that same material and you adapt it differently and it's like, yeah. oh, you really didn't make that many changes just took your shit a little more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, I, oh, good. Sorry. No, no. Um, you go. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I agree with that. I, you could put that right next to all the iterations of Batman that have come out. Like, he just kind of gets redefined for another generation. Same with, like, Ninja Turtles. And he's, but they're always there and will always be locked into, like, either the, the, the whoever picks it up at that time. You know, whenever you stumble upon it, you'll find something for you, which is cool. So, uh, in the in the long run, as we kind of as we kind of come as we kind of wrap this up, um, what is everyone's final takeaway on He Man, and who wants to go first? I can go first as the newbie. Um, yeah, I would say give this movie a shot if you haven't seen it before. If you're like me and never uh, watched it, uh, just be prepared for cheese. But hopefully, you love cheese and. Uh, some of this cheese is refined, and some of it's a little, you know, nacho cheese-ish that's been sitting at the <laughs> uh, the the stand, you know, maybe in Seven uh, Eleven for a little while. But then you also have like some of that fine, like you know, Gouda and some of that good stuff from Europe. So there's a little bit of everything for uh, for all the cheese kind of sores. What and what about you, Richard? If you like movies from the era when they didn't use CG and put everything in camera and things that are like on green screen, but composited pretty cool. Then I think this movie is for you. And if you like, uh, uh, Skeletor in any shape or form, this is definitely a tribute to one of the dopest characters made for, uh, cartoons and for kids. All right. And honestly, for me, it's a movie I grew up on. I'm always going to be biased for while you can't, and while you can see the cheese and while you can uh, pick things apart and while you can wonder why Tila is running around and thaw on a children's movie. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> is it a movie that I need to watch um, over and over and over, or maybe maybe space five to six years between each viewing? Sure, but it is a lot. It is a it's great '80s cheesy canon fun. And you know what? Um, the failure of this movie did not cause one of the producers to try to attempt suicide by jumping off the tower of canon films. Jesus, which Jesus. actually happened with the apple. Uh, luckily, it was okay. But um, yeah, it's, uh, just brief aside. So, yeah, this is the one that both me and Mike recommended to you, Richard. Weird. Um, uh, Menahem Golan, Menahem Golan, who not only produced the movie, also wrote and directed it. Um, this movie, the reaction was so negative that he actually tried to kill himself. I'm Yeesh. like, 
what the hell? And and I feel and it's one of the things where you feel bad for a guy. Like it's it's a terrible movie. It's a beautifully terrible movie. But um, at the same time, it's like no, dude, you should not. Sad that <laughs> someone was that impassioned about it. Or that that's where the failure of that movie did that to them. Oof, it's rough. But luckily, he was okay, and he produced the greatest movie of all time, Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. So nice. There you go. Cool. Every every cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> Amen. So, Right, as we get everything as we get things wrapped up, um sure, I know you have your band Rivers One. And what is what do you guys have coming up and where can people find you not only performing but also on this magical fun fun world of social media uh where people can express their thoughts and complain at people for no for no day. <laughs> nice. Well if uh, if you're uh, just search on any platform Rivers Want, we're the only ones who have that name. So uh we're you know, if you find us on Facebook, Rivers Want uh youtube rivers want instagram all that jazz uh we obviously haven't been playing any shows since everybody's been locked down we played every now and then but we have a bunch of them coming up uh one i can announce which is june 26th at the nasa in corpus christi and we have a couple of local ones coming up here as well but uh during this time in lockdown we've been working on our second album and it's done it's recorded i just need to Mix it, send it off. So by the time summer comes around, we should have that uh, up and running for everybody to listen to. Yeah, new stuff. All right, and um, Mike, Mike White, got the uh, projection booth. Uh, yep. What do you have coming up, and where can people find you? Well, you can always find me over at theprojectionbooth.com. Um, I'm also over on Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff as well. And yeah, coming up in June, we've got a whole month dedicated to sci-fi films. Nothing as good as Masters of the Universe, but we do have some <laughs> other uh, things. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, The Black Hole, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters, and Planet of the Apes with a bonus episode dedicated to Time Bandits. So it should be, it's going to keep me very busy because I've got a lot of reading to do, a lot of interviews to do, but... We're going to get through it and uh, hopefully put out some really good podcasts. Nice. Really awesome. And with that, you can find this episode and all the other episodes of Circuit 42 on Spotify and iTunes. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. With that, have a great night, everyone. And thanks for listening to the newest episode of Circuit 42.